right. Everybody happy today? Yes. Put a big smile on your face. Yes. Tell somebody next to you. Get ready. Yes. You're going to like this today. Yes. Tell somebody else. Get ready. Yes. I hope you like it. You don't even know what I'm going to say yet. Let's open our Bibles once again to the 10th chapter of Mark. The 10th chapter of Mark. And as you know, since October, I have been sharing with you the prophetic word that the Lord has given me. It's up on the screen right now. I say it's on the screen right now. 2023, the year of the maximum, the highest level attainable. How many of you are going for that? Praise God. Hallelujah. That's the reason why, once again, we always, after we receive the prophetic word, that we give all of you a a little uh, bookmark like this. Write the vision. Make it plain. Keep it before you so that. It motivates you so that it helps you to stay focused and single-minded. So if you haven't picked up one yet, I'm sure there's still some back in the uh, book room. Go back and get one and take it home with you. And by the way, let me give you this report just before we start on the message here. Last Sunday night, you remember we talked about, uh, gave you a report. I called it State of the Ministry Address, talking about the new auditorium and uh, the new uh, facilities that are being built. And we showed you that there are two buildings that are already finished, and we're about to start the third one. And I think we have a photo of it. This will be the storage facility for the church over on the new property. And uh, so we got to get that built uh, so that everything that is coming out of the old storage can go into that storage. And so it'll get started here in the next week or two. And uh, we received a special offering to go toward the construction of that building last Sunday night. Let me give you this report. You gave $127,672. Amen. Praise God. And then a pastor uh, that's part of our ministerial association who was in town, came out to the office Thursday night. I met with him, he and his wife, and they are in a new building program, so they wanted to get involved in ours and sow a seed, and they added $40,000 to it. So that's 167672 to go toward the construction of this building. That's going to take a little more than that, and we believe it's all going to come in, praise God. Amen. So just stay in faith with us and Let's get things built around here. Amen. Praise God. Now, the good thing is we don't have to move from this facility until we get the other one built. Okay. And then when we get the other one built, we'll put up this property for sale and, uh, and, and continue to go forward. Praise God. Amen. All right. Mark chapter 10. This is the foundation scriptures that the Lord gave me back in October. Regarding the prophetic word for the maximum and the highest level attainable. Now, let's let's not read all of it since we've already done that in some of the previous services. 
But let's just go down to verse 28. Let me just uh, clarify it with this. You remember Jesus was approached by a rich young ruler, wanted to know what he had to do to inherit eternal life. Jesus said, sell what you have, give to the poor. The man walked away grieved at that saying because he had great possessions and he wasn't willing to release any of them. You've heard me say it before. I'm going to repeat it again. If you can't give away something that God's blessed you with, then you don't have it. It has you. Amen. And so that was this man's problem. Now, uh, Jesus told him, you, you, he said, you know the commandments. The man said, yes, I've kept them all my life. And that's the reason why he was a rich man, because he kept the commandments. But he wasn't willing to let go of something that God had blessed him with. And there are a lot of Christians that have that problem today. You know, if you, once again, if you can't give it away when God asks you to, then you don't really have it. It has you. Amen. I refuse to allow anything to uh, be attached to me that I'm not willing to give away. Amen. And I've proven it to the Lord over the years. I've given away cars. I've given away motorcycles. I've given away airplanes. Uh, I've given away clothes. Uh, you know, I've had people bless me with brand new suits and I didn't even get to wear them. God said, uh, now you have something that you can give to that preacher. I've had that happen. I mean, I didn't even get to wear it. God said, uh, make it a twice sown seed. Amen. That's the reason that Carol and I are so blessed today. Amen. We don't approach giving as a one-time event in our life. It's a lifestyle. Amen. A lifestyle. And so this is the basis upon which God is promising people that are willing to give of what they have when he asks for it, then he promises they shall receive in this time, or as another translation says, in this present age, a hundredfold. Now, some translations use the phrase a hundred times, but I find a lot of Christians struggle with that. And uh, so the Lord taught me years ago, instead of saying hundredfold, even though I, I know that it works because it's worked for me many times. Okay. But he said, in teaching it, just tell people to think of it in these terms. Hundredfold is symbolic of maximum and the highest level attainable. So say that with me. The maximum and the highest level attainable. Now that's what Jesus is promising you in this life. The maximum. And the highest level attainable. Now, let's look at verse 28. Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and saith, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left all. And he went on to explain some things there. And then verse 30 says, But he shall receive. In other words, he's saying, there's, there's not anyone who's been willing to leave all who shall not receive. No one in God's kingdom, in God's way of doing things, 
has been willing to give all that he asked you to give without a return. Well, I know people, well, you know people who didn't stand for it. You were about to say, I know people who haven't received a return on their giving. No, you know people who didn't stand for it. Okay, I'll try this side of the auditorium. You know people who didn't last, who didn't continue to stand, who gave up. Now, I can either believe what people say or I can believe what Jesus says. And if I've got a choice, I'm picking Jesus. Because he doesn't lie. It's impossible for him to lie. Can you say amen? amen? Now, we have a lot of critics that, that you know, we're constantly on our case for preaching prosperity. It's amazing to me that a preacher will stand up and say, we don't believe in that prosperity message, and then receive an offering. That's double-mindedness. That's speaking with a forked tongue. <laughs> Amen. Prosperity is how we get things done. It's how you further the kingdom of God in the earth. Amen. The Bible says that God delights in the prosperity of his servants. Well, I don't want to rob him of any joy. How about you? Amen. You can't, you can't build a new building if you're not prospering. You can't get involved in missions if you're not prospering. You can't help others if you're not prospering. Amen? So prosperity, according to the Word of God, is part of our inheritance. It's part of, of, of why Jesus went to the cross and gave His life that we might be redeemed and one of the things we're redeemed from is poverty, praise God. Amen. Amen. So if you struggle with prosperity, just go back and read your Bible sometime. Because <laughs> the Bible says in 3 John 2, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Amen. Amen. To prosper and to be in health. Praise God. When you're prospering and you're in health, then you're useful to the kingdom of God. Can you say amen? amen? So notice Jesus said, he shall receive. Now in this story, and I, I want to read some of my notes that I, I wrote down last night. In this story, we find this rich young ruler walked away grieved at what Jesus told him to do because in his mind, the cost seemed too high. He wasn't willing to surrender his life fully and completely. At this point, Jesus reveals to his disciples that those who are willing to make this kind of commitment will eventually receive back far more than they were willing to give. You could say that the theme of this story is the gain of giving all. The gain of of giving all. No wonder when Peter heard these words, he responded by saying, and I'm paraphrasing, we've done that. We, we've done what you just asked this rich young ruler to do. We've done that. And Jesus responded with, 
you shall receive back a whole lot more, I'm paraphrasing, than you were willing to give. Amen. Tremendously more than you were willing to give. The Passion Translation adds this. Jesus said to him, I assure you. I assure you. Now you have God's assurance that if you're willing to make the commitment that everything you have is at God's disposal if he so desires. If he asks for it. Amen. Carol and I have been living this way. Uh, next month will be 54 years. Amen. And we can say, we can say that Jesus has kept his word. He has assured us and we have seen it happen. Praise God. In fact, uh, I just feel like, man, I'm in the last couple of years, I just feel like I've been born again, again. It's just, it's God's just done some amazing things. Hallelujah. And I believe the best is yet to come. Hallelujah. Now, once again, giving once does not entitle you to maximum. We're talking about lifestyle here. When the, when Jesus used the phrase, or when Peter used the phrase, and then Jesus repeated it, we have left all. That That's talking about a deep commitment to walk away from everything if God so desires. He's not asking everybody to leave their father, leave their mother, leave their brother, leave their sister, leave their wife, leave their house. He may require that from some people, but he doesn't require that from everybody. Amen. Now, he asked Abraham to do that. But you have to understand the culture back then. God didn't, when I made Jesus Lord of my life, he didn't say, now, leave Carolyn. She would have said, you must have heard somebody else. That wasn't God talking. He didn't ask me to leave my wife. He didn't ask me. My, both my daughters were very young at the time. I, I came to the Lord in 69. Jerry Ann was born in 68. Terry was born in 69. He didn't say, walk away from your family. He didn't even tell me, leave your house. He didn't even tell me to leave or give up my business. I did that on my own. He didn't ask me to... to uh, get rid of my hot rods. He didn't ask me to get rid of, of, uh, of the things that I enjoyed and were passionate about before I came to him. I did that on my own. I said, Lord, I want you to know that you are now number one in my life. All these other things were my God prior to February the 11th, three o'clock in the morning, 1969. And now I'm willing to walk away from that to do what you desire for me to do. I've been living my dream all these years. Now I'm ready to live your dream for me. Yes. Amen. And I was willing to do that. Okay. But God didn't make me. Now, 
some those early days uh, uh, of my beginning uh, of the walk with the Lord, I had Christians tell me things that I had to do and that God wouldn't like me if I didn't. God be upset with me if I didn't. Huh? I remember one time when uh, uh, I was uh, getting my car ready for uh, some excitement. <laughs> and uh, and it was a Sunday morning. And I jacked the car up and I was changing the rear end out. And my dad had taught me from a little boy. Son, don't get under that car without putting jack stands under it. Well, I was in a hurry that morning. And I just got my floor jack and I raised the car up. And I got underneath there. And I took both the rear wheels off. And in a little while, I looked up. And that jack began to collapse. And this part of my body was hanging outside the car. And this much of me was under the car. And I saw that car coming down. And the next thing I knew, I'm standing out here looking at that car on the ground. It would have crushed me to death. Now, I believe God caused my angel to get me out of there because there was no way I could have done that that fast. Not in the natural. Next thing I know, I'm sitting on the ground looking at that car collapsed. Well, then I made the mistake of telling somebody at church, thinking it was, you know, a good testimony. Yeah. Yeah. When did you do this? Last Sunday. Uh Uh-huh. You should have been in church. God tried to kill you because you wasn't in church. Amen. That's what, that's what they told when, when Terry's fingers were cut off. In a Kenneth Copeland meeting. When, when Terry's two fingers in this first joint, I won't go into all the testimony. They were cut off in the nursery. And in the natural, the doctor said it was impossible for them to ever be normal again, never have nails. Just he took a piece of skin from her hip, did a skin graft, covered them up and said there'd be little nubs there for the rest of her life. Well, Carolyn, I wouldn't accept that. And we said, no, our God will restore our baby's fingers. And and the doctor just did the, you know, the skin graft and, and said, uh, it's medically impossible that those fingers will ever be normal again. Well, there were some folks came from the church, you know, to, to comfort us with, we don't know why God cut your baby's fingers off. Now, I was not even close to being totally sanctified then. Okay. I mean, I'm young in the Lord. And I got a long ways to go. And it was all I could do to keep from slapping them in the face. And the best I could do was get out of my house. God didn't cut my baby's fingers off. And we don't want to hear that in our house. Now I made a lot of the, lot of the Christians that came to visit us mad. Because we were not going to tolerate that unbelief in religious tradition. Not only that, it was a lie. God does not go around cutting babies' fingers off. He's the healer. I'm the Lord thy God that healeth thee. Not cutteth thy fingers off. I mean, if you've ever heard, 
God wrecked your car to teach you something. Are you kidding me? He don't have to wreck your car to teach you something. You wrecked it. Did you learn anything when you wrecked it? (laughs) My Bible says the Holy Ghost is the teacher of the church. If car wrecks and sickness and disease is the teacher of the church, then that makes the devil the teacher of the church. And he's not. The Holy Spirit is. Jesus said, when I send the Holy Spirit, he will lead and guide you into all truth. Can you say amen? Amen. So sometimes you just have to learn to turn a deaf ear to some people. And I'm talking about some Christians. Amen. So God is promising those who make a commitment, a lifelong commitment. You know, we've had critics that say, well, those prosperity preachers go around saying, if, they'll, if people will give $100, God will give them 1000 back. We're talking about commitment here. We're not talking about trying something. We're not talking about going and picking out one scripture. Say, oh, I'll receive a hundredfold. And you are living far from a godly life. And you just have need of money. And you pick out one scripture. Say, oh, if I give, I promised a hundredfold. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a commitment. We have left all. That's a commitment. We have left all. That's a commitment. An unwavering commitment is what produces the maximum and the highest level attainable. So I want to make that very clear because, you know, I've already had people's, you know, write letters. How can you tell people that if 2023 will be a year for the maximum and the highest level attainable? Because the Lord told me to tell people. Not only that, the foundation is right here in the words of Jesus himself. Now, let's listen to this. To experience God's best in your life always requires an unwavering commitment to him and to his word. Commitment involves obedience, determination, focus, and discipline. Commitment involves obedience, determination, focus, and discipline. And many Christians don't like the word discipline. It's a four-letter word to some Christians. Discipline. I hate discipline. And it's obvious that most Christians do not like the word. You know, the word of faith, I believe, is the message that is going to reach the masses in these last days. Because it works. And there are people finding out right now that their religious tradition is not producing for them. It's going to take the uncompromising word of God to get us over in the days to come. But along with the word of faith... It requires a life of discipline. 
I say, some of you already turned me off again. Discipline. Doesn't it sound like I'm not moved by what I see? Doesn't that sound like discipline? I'm not moved by what I feel. Discipline. I'm not moved by what I hear. Discipline. I'm only moved by what I believe, and I believe the Word of God. Discipline. Amen. It requires a disciplined life. You know, right now, the, uh, what do you call them, the playoffs or the final games in the NFL are going on, you know, to see who's going to go to the Super Bowl. Those people that make the NFL... And how many thousands of young men coming out of college who perhaps were even great college football players don't make the NFL? Thousands of them. And the ones that do, they didn't get there because of lack of discipline. Amen? It takes discipline to excel in anything. Amen? It takes discipline to excel in the life of faith. It takes discipline to make the statement, I'm willing to leave all and then back it. Can you say amen? Amen. So we're talking about commitment here. We're talking about committed people are entitled to maximum and the highest level attainable. So once again, many Christians don't like the word discipline. And that's the reason some of them don't stay and remain committed. It's only the commitments that we make with our whole heart that causes us to receive all that God desires for us to have and to enjoy. I made a commitment to Carolyn nearly 57 years ago. And I've honored that commitment. There's never been another woman in my life. When I said I do to her, I did and I'm doing. Amen. I'm not interested in another woman. I asked Jesse to plant us one time. I said, Jesse, you and Kathy ever considered divorce? He said, no. Murder, yes. Only Jesse. (laughs) You know, we've we've had our moments. If she'd just agree with me, we'd never have any moments. (laughs) But no. But, But we didn't fall out of love with each other. Amen. So we've kept that commitment. That we made July the 15th, 1966, almost 57 years ago. And because of it, we're living a good life. Together, hallelujah. Glory to God. I also made that same commitment to God 54 years ago. That there will be no other gods before you. And I've honored that commitment. And I'm living a good life, hallelujah. God has kept his word. I'm experiencing the maximum 
and the highest level attainable, praise God. And the best is yet to come. You have to stay focused on the commitments that you make. And don't allow Satan to distract you. It seems that when you are on the threshold, and many of you can identify with this, when you're on the threshold of a major breakthrough is when Satan does his best to get you to lose focus, back off your commitment. He'll do everything he possibly can to distract you because he knows if you stay committed, then it's just a matter of time. You're going to receive God's best. God's going to honor that unwavered, unwavering commitment that you've made. Stay focused. Look at your neighbor and say, stay focused. When you stay focused, then it's not likely that Satan will be able to prevent you from having what God desires for you to have. Staying committed also from time to time involves enduring hardships. How many of you found that out? How many full-time preachers are in here? All right. Have any of you ever gone through some hardships? I won't ask for a show of hands, but did, did, has anyone else ever been through hardships? Has anyone ever been tempted to quit, give up, back down, say it's not worth it? We all have those experiences from time to time. And that's just Satan's way to try to get you out of position to experience God's best. And if you're, if you're struggling with that right now, then I want to encourage you, hang in there. Because you've almost got this thing won. When Satan is doing his best day and night, waking you up in the middle of the night, telling you it's not going to work, it's not going to work, it's not going to work, you're a fool for believing it then that, that, that indicates you've got him right where you want him. He's about to fall. He's about to collapse. And you are going to have your breakthrough, praise God. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. So stay committed. Even though it may mean uh, enduring some hardships from time to time. Following the Lord and obeying his word is the most rewarding commitment that you will ever make. That's what Jesus is endeavoring to tell his disciples here in the 10th chapter of Mark. He shall receive a hundredfold, the maximum. The maximum belongs to committed believers. The highest level attainable belongs to committed believers. Now I ask you this, are you one of them? I said, are you one of them? All right. Now, another question I want to ask you is this. Do you love God above all else? Is everything you have available to him? Don't don't answer that too quickly. He may talk to you about it on the way home. You know, there there's some things that God has blessed me with that I've really enjoyed, I like. And then when he asked me to give it, that's where you find out 
Is he number one? Is he above all else in your life? Amen. You've heard me tell about the first airplane he blessed this ministry with back in 1975. Debt-free airplane. Man, I was one happy camper. God proved to me he could do what men said couldn't be done. In the day it arrived, we put it in the hangar. We were going to fly it to St. Simon Island, Georgia the next morning. Put it in the hangar. And I was shutting the hangars. And, and I sensed in my spirit this question. What if God asked you to give it away before you ever fly it? I shut the door real quick. <laughs> got in my car and started home. Then I told Carolyn and the girls, I said, no, we got to go back. She said, why? I said, well, we got to do something. So we went back to the airport, opened the hangar. We laid our hands on the nose of the airplane and said, God, if we never get to fly this plane, it was a joy watching you do the impossible. And if you tell me to give it away, even before I get to fly it tomorrow, I'd, I'd never flown it. Not yet. And if you tell me to give it away tonight, I will do it without reservation and without hesitation. And I'll never forget what he said. I commend you for that, son. Enjoy it for now. I shut the door real quick and went home. <laughs> and I got to enjoy that plane for, I don't know, maybe less than two years, something like that. And there were two ministers, friends of mine, that were both uh, going through some really trying financial challenges. And the Lord said, sell the airplane, divide the money between both of those ministries, and you'll save two ministries. Now, that means I would have either had to go back driving or I would have had to start flying commercial. You know, because when I gave the airplane away, I mean, when I sold it to that man and gave the money away, there was a broker out at Meacham Field that they wanted to buy the airplane, and, and I sold it to him. And, uh, and then gave the money away. And the devil said, what are you going to do now? I said, well, what I did before I got the airplane. I'll either drive or I'll fly a commercial. Now, back then, uh, DFW didn't exist. We had to go over to Love Field to fly somewhere. So I did that. And it was hard. Because I had set up my schedule based on owning an airplane. And you can't get from New York to Los Angeles driving and be there that night and ready to preach. Amen. So it, it, it created a hardship on me. But we endeavored to endure it and do whatever needed to be done. So that I never had to cancel a meeting, never had to break my word to people. And believing for our next airplane right at the same time. And it happened. Didn't happen overnight. Didn't happen in a month. Didn't happen in a couple of months. But we just held firm to the word of God. And God honored it. And I was in my next airplane and that was 10 debt-free airplanes ago, praise God. Amen. God's always been faithful. Now, I wish I could say, I gave my airplane away and zowie, another one showed up by dark. That's not the way it happened with me. 
but it always showed up. Hallelujah. Because a commitment sometimes requires enduring hardships. Now, there were times I would come home, you know, driving from someplace and get home one or two o'clock in the morning and just bring a suitcase in with my dirty clothes and pick up another suitcase with clean clothes, wake up the girls and say, hey, girls, daddy's home. How long are you going to be with us, daddy? Oh, about an hour. Getting ready to leave now. One time, Jerry Ann, I came home and Jerry Ann said, Daddy, when you left this last trip, Terry and I gave you away. I said, what? She said, we gave you away. I said, what do you mean by that? She said, give and it shall be given unto you. I said, what do you believe for another daddy? She said, no, more time with the one we have. Amen. So, you know, it was hard in those early days of, of establishing your ministry. Now today, I don't have to go anywhere if I don't want to. My partner base is strong and, and God's blessing. New partners all the time. I don't have to go out to preach anywhere to maintain the financial strength of the ministry. I go because I want to. In fact, in a little while, a few hours, I'm going to fly up to Mississippi and preach tonight. And fly back home afterwards so I can do TV tomorrow. What does a preacher need with an airplane? That's why. <laughs> I can't do that on commercial airlines. And I, I could drive. I've done it. But I'd be worn out before I get home to do TV. Brother Copeland and I call our airplanes anointing protectors. That's what they are. Anointing protectors. Hallelujah. And if you don't understand that, then you haven't been in the ministry very long. So, once again, how much do we truly love God above all else? God's not asking us to give something so that we won't have anything. He's asking us to give so that he can bless us with more. Amen. He asks us to give so that he can bless us with more. Amen. Now, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24. There is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. And notice when you're holding on, when God's asking you to give, then eventually it's going to lead to poverty. You're going to open yourself up to lack and want. But he says, the ones that scatter. In other words, they're, they're, they're always looking for an opportunity to sow seed in various different directions. It's one of the great joys that Carol and I have. We, we look for opportunity to sow every day of our life. We have had so much fun over the last couple of months in particular. Seem like every restaurant we have eaten in lately, the waitress, not without her saying anything, or him saying anything, the waiter, they're in great need, and God sent us there to help them. That's fun. And they're just overwhelmed. They, they, they say, we, we don't know people like you. 
Isn't that a shame? I wonder how many Christians are eating in that restaurant. (laughs) We don't know people that give like you folks. This ought to be the most natural thing for every Christian. God so loved, he gave. We so love God, we give. Amen. And we've just been having a blast here lately with being able to bless uh, the waiters and wait and, and waitresses in the various restaurants we've been in. And they don't they don't know that we're going to do that. They didn't they didn't come. You know, I'm a Christian and I can't pay my my rent this month. Could you help me? They didn't say a word. In fact, that was one of the reasons why we blessed this one lady. Uh, was she had such a wonderful attitude. She was a sweet lady. She, she couldn't do enough to serve. And the Lord spoke to us and said, give this lady some extra. And we did. And she fell down on her knees at our table and, and began weeping and said, you have no idea what you just did. I couldn't pay my rent this month. And, and you just enabled me to be able to pay my rent. Well, she went back uh, and came back to thank us one more time. And while she's gone, Carolyn said, let's give her some more. So we gave her some more. We made her day, praise God. She could have gone home that day and she got more from us than she probably got from the whole day. Hallelujah. That's fun. That's fun. And then people, you know, get upset with you because you're blessed. Duh. It's lifestyle. It's a commitment we made and we're still honoring it and God's honoring his commitment to us. Amen. You shall receive maximum and the highest level attainable. The Passion Translation says for Proverbs eleven twenty four, generosity brings prosperity, but withholding brings poverty. Generosity brings prosperity. Now, see, you could take that one scripture. From the Passion Translation. Generosity brings prosperity. Oh, I think I'll be generous to somebody today because I need some prosperity. <laughs> We're talking more than just a one-time event. We're talking lifestyle. Living to give. Look at your neighbor and say, I want to get to the place where I live to give. Some of you can say, I'm already there, praise God. Amen. So we're talking about lifestyle. This is what Jesus was talking about in Mark chapter 10, verses 28 and 30. He's teaching them, as well as us, the value and the rewards of total commitment. That it will eventually produce the maximum in our lives and take us to the highest level attainable. It's a God-first lifestyle. A God-first lifestyle. That's what will take you there. And Jesus assures us that it will be worth it all. The world that we live in today with all the chaos and all the disorder has become a distraction to a lot of Christians. I'm talking about Christians that had made a commitment. God first. Anything he asks of me, I'm willing to give. But the condition that the world is in has distracted them. And they begin to back away from that commitment. Folks, this is not the time to back away from that commitment. This is the time to get in it as deep as you possibly can. Amen. 
But I can't afford to give. No, the truth is you can't afford not to. Don't stop giving because of the circumstances. Well, I can't give what I used to give. Well, that may be true temporarily, but don't stop giving entirely. I heard, I heard, uh, uh, well, I can't think of his name now, but anyway, I heard him say one time, another preacher, every time God receives an offering, Mike Murdoch, every time God receives an offering, he's giving you another opportunity to increase. Amen. And it's amazing how some Christians frown when it's offering time. Not in this church, but you do you in some places like pulling teeth. Okay, moving right along. God expects more from us than a half hearted commitment. He said in the Old Testament, He said, If you think it's better to serve other gods, then go for it. I'm paraphrasing. If you think I'm asking too much of you and you'd rather go serve other gods, then go for it. He's saying, I will not accept a divided heart. It's either all of me, all of you, or none of me, and none of you. Amen. Half-hearted commitment does not produce the maximum and the highest level attainable. When it comes to following Jesus, it must be according to Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. With all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. That sounds like just about all of us. All of all of us. Jesus made this statement a few chapters earlier in Matthew 15, Verse uh, 18, the people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. The Passion Translation says, their hearts are so very distant from me. Verse 9 says from the Passion, they pretend to worship me, but their worship is nothing more than empty traditions of men. So take a good look at your walk today. Have you drawn back from your original commitment? If so, then it's time to stir yourself up. You know, Carolyn said to me not too long ago, and I guess I need to do it, because Carolyn said I needed to. How shall I say this? I think we need to go back from time to time to preach how hot it is in hell and you don't want to go there. And we need to go back and preach sometimes the wages of sin is death. And we need to go back and preach sometimes. <laughs> well, you get the point. Christians have become so 
likes Daisy today. They don't, they don't, and I'm using this word loosely, they don't fear the consequences. They're just sailing along. What will be, will be. And then, we've got a lot of preachers to thank for this. With a distorted message on grace. And they think they can just do anything. Live any way they want to live. And grace covers it all. That's not Paul's revelation of grace. In fact, this was the man that grace was first revealed to. And he says in the book of Romans, shall we continue to sin? Grace does not mean you can live any way you want to live. And it'll be okay with God. And he'll still take you to the maximum and the highest level attainable. Not so. Not so. So I don't know. One day we'll come in here and provide you all with a water hose because it's going to get hot. I keep telling Karen, you preach it. Now she wants everybody to love her. <laughs> okay. I have to go look up one of those old Billy Sunday sermons on fire and brimstone or whatever they called it, you know. All right, everybody still here? Yes. Smile at somebody and say, Isn't Brother Jerry precious? <laughs> Don't you just love him? We welcome anything he would preach. Hallelujah. (laughs) Okay, that was a faith confession. Praise God. When God is first place in your life, then you're willing to give anything that he might ask of you and to give it with joy. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 7 says, For God loveth a cheerful giver. The Amplified Bible says, a prompt to do it giver. A prompt to do it giver whose heart is in his giving. And God's promise to these kind of believers is this. He will make every favor, according to the Amplified Bible. He will make every favor and earthly blessing come to you in abundance. So that you may always and under all circumstances and whatever the need be, self-sufficient, possessing enough to require no aid or support. Wow, what a promise. That sounds like the maximum and the highest level attainable. Can you say amen? Amen. All right, now, that was my first sermon this morning. This is sermon number two. Let's go to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. And once again, we're still talking about commitment. Unwavering commitment. Lifestyle is what qualifies you to experience the maximum and the highest level attainable. Don't think it's a one-time event. Psalm 34. Let's begin reading in verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. 
Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want. Everybody shout, no want. There is no want to those that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. The message translation uses the phrase, uh, God seekers. God seekers shall have no want. How many God seekers in here today? Then the Bible promises that if you are a God seeker and you keep that commitment to continue all of your life to be a God seeker, then eventually you'll get to the place where you have no want. That sounds like maximum and highest level attainable. Amen. So once again, he's, he's uh, implying that this is what lifetime commitment God seekers can expect. This is the reward of their diligently seeking and serving Him. This psalm is a strong call to action, to fully engage in seeking God continually, not just when things are tough, but every day of your life. People seem to, you know, cry out to God and want God to help when things are tough. But what about when everything's going well? You know, the Bible says, points out that this is one of the greatest sins of Israel. That when they had abundance, they no longer needed God. When everything was going well, they no longer needed God. But true God seekers seek Him when things are falling apart. They seek Him when things are going well. They seek and serve Him every day of their life. And eventually, they'll get to the place where they have no want. Hallelujah. So once again, we're talking commitment. Pursue Him with your whole heart in the good times and in the bad times. These are the kind of people that will experience the maximum and the highest level attainable. When I hear the Holy Spirit saying, as I was praying yesterday and writing these notes, I hear him saying, I'm calling for a fresh commitment, a new level of sincerity in your walk with the Lord this year. I'm calling for a fresh commitment and a new level of sincerity in your walk with the Lord this year. The Passion Translation says, those who passionately pursue the Lord shall have no want. Passionately means with strong conviction. Determination. It also means with compelling desire. Does this describe you today and your walk with God? So many Christians today want God's best, but they're not willing to do what it requires. You know, if, if, if God was just going to cause everything to come together in your life and God was going to take you to the maximum, the highest level, and you could just continue to live any old way you wanted to live, then every Christian would be enjoying the maximum. Every person would be enjoying the maximum. But that's just not the way it works. Listen to this psalm. Psalm 8411 from the Passion Translation. Those who walk along His paths with integrity will never lack one thing they need, for He provides it all. 
I'm going to read that one again. For those who walk along his paths with integrity will never lack one thing they need, for he will provide it all. And the word integrity here implies genuineness. Those who walk with him in genuineness, then they will reach the place where they will never lack one thing. In other words, they don't play religious games. They're not playing church. They're sincere and they do it out of their love for God. And they do it out of respect and gratefulness for what he's done for them. Can anybody in here say the Lord's been good to me? Then doesn't he deserve our all? Anything that he might ask of us? Amen. Psalm 92 verses 1 through 2. The Passion Translation says, It's so enjoyable to come before you with uncontainable praises spilling from our hearts. How we love to sing our praises over and over to you, to the matchless God, high and exalted over all. At each and every sunrise, we will be thanking you for your kindness and your love. As the sun sets all through the night, we will keep proclaiming you are so faithful. Hallelujah. That's, that's, a, that's a God seeker. That's a God pleaser. Amen. That's a person who's made a firm, unwavering commitment. Hallelujah. And that's the kind of person he's going to take to the maximum. Here's another great promise. Psalm 112, verse 1, from the Passion Translation. Everyone who loves the Lord and delights in Him, listen to this, will be blessed beyond expectation will be blessed beyond expectation. Doesn't that sound like the maximum? Doesn't that sound like the highest level attainable? So my question at this point is, will this prophetic word come to pass in your life this year? Do you qualify? Are you one of the people like we have been reading about in the word of God, who are deeply committed, who are passionate, who are unwavering, who are not looking for an opportunity to quit, are you one of those people? Then if so, you are going to have a fabulous 2023. God's going to take you to the maximum, and you're going to experience the highest level attainable, and I think you ought to go ahead and give Him your best shout in advance. Amen. So, do you qualify? Joshua once said to the people of his day in Joshua 24:14, "Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth." The message translation says, "And with total commitment, with total commitment." Here's some good advice from the Apostle Paul. He says that we should, according to Romans chapter 12 verse 11, Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. The word fervent means earnest, in pursuit, zealous, intent. It also means, in our modern day vernacular, on fire. On fire. Be on fire for God. Be fervent in spirit. 
The Amplified Bible says, be a glow and burning. Look at your neighbor and say, are you burning today? Now notice I didn't ask them to ask you, are you burning out? No, we're talking about burning up. Hallelujah. Amen. I've heard preachers say, I'm not in the ministry anymore. I burned out. It's just too hard. Well, God didn't say it's going to be easy. Amen. The message translation says, don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. The passion translation says, keep your passion toward him boiling hot. Radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit and let him fill you with excitement as you serve him. Is there anybody in here today serving the Lord with excitement? I said, is anybody in here today serving the Lord with excitement? I think my mic went out. Is there anybody in here serving the Lord today with excitement? (laughs) Hallelujah. In other words, what I hear the Bible saying is this. Stay inspired. And you stay inspired by staying close to Him. Draw nigh unto me, God says, and I will draw nigh unto you. These are the kind of people that will experience the maximum in 2023. Listen to this. When you're on fire for God, you're fervent in spirit, you're excited about your walk with Him, then you're also willing to do whatever He asks you to do, and you're willing to give whatever He asks you to give. Amen. Have no problem with it. You just say, Lord, I am yours to command. Now let me wrap it up with this. This is my third sermon. I'm going to be away for a few weeks. Uh, Got one shot at you today. Tony, Joe, Eric, myself, John Ben Dixon. uh, We're all headed, well, John's already there. That's where he lives. But we're all headed to South Africa Next Sunday morning. And then from there, we go to Ethiopia. We'll be out for a couple of weeks. So I got to get three sermons in before I leave. Praise God. (laughs) Amen. Next Sunday morning, uh, we're going to do a video of us getting on the airplane. And by the way, I can hardly contain myself. This is my very first international trip in my own international aircraft. Hallelujah. Praise God. Glory to God. And one of our partners in South Africa, you have no idea what the fuel costs for a round trip to South Africa and back in a Falcon 50 with three engines. But one of our partners in South Africa has already agreed to pay for all the fuel that it takes. Praise God. Isn't that wonderful? Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, in Genesis chapter 2, and in verse 7, it says, And the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living sower, as the Amplified says, a living being. Breathed here 
is symbolic of giving inspiration. And it means arouse to life. That's what inspired means, to arouse to life. God wants, and it's evident from the very beginning, when he breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils, that he wanted to be man's inspiration. He wanted to be the reason why man would arouse to life. Okay? Now, you could say that God's first act toward man after creating him was to inspire him and to influence him. To inspire him and to influence him. In the literal Hebrew, it, it means influence from God. When God breathed the breath of life into him, in the Hebrew it means influence from God. So once again, you could say that God's first act toward man after creating him was to inspire him and to influence him. And that was his will in the beginning, and it's still his will to this day. God wants to be our inspiration. God wants to be our influence. He's always wanted to be the main source of our inspiration and influence. I like being inspired by God. I like being influenced by God. It's, it, it, it's, the dictionary says that to inspire means to communicate divine instruction. To communicate divine instruction. It also says to influence is to move on or to direct by an unseen power. And obviously to the believer that unseen power comes from God through the Holy Spirit. John sixteen twenty three. Jesus said, How be it when he the spirit of truth has come... He will guide you into all truth, and He will show you things to come. So notice, way past Genesis, now we're up to John, and a lot of time has passed, and Jesus is talking about His desire for man to still be influenced by God through the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? amen. We're on a path today. Each and every one of us, we're on a path today. Because we were influenced by somebody to take that path. Growing up, my, my first influencer, is that a word? My first influencer was my father, my dad. I loved my dad. And I wanted to be everything he was. I wanted to do everything he did. I wanted him to teach me everything he knew. I, I had a father and I had a dad, but my father and my dad, which were one and the same, was also my best friend. I wished every boy could have had a dad like mine. In fact, most of my classmates wished they had my dad as their dad because he was just a joy to be with. He loved being with all of us guys. We love being with him. But he was my primary influence as a little boy. I remember when I was about six years old, seven years old, possibly. 
I walked in his bedroom one day, one, one, one early evening, and he was putting on a baseball uniform. He played softball for the team uh, company that he worked for, Howard Crumley Chevrolet. He put on that uniform. I'm standing there looking at him. Of course, I thought my dad was the biggest person and the strongest person in the world, you know, when you're a six-year-old boy. I saw him put on that uniform. And I was just captivated. And I thought, one day I'm going to wear a uniform like that. I'm going to play baseball like my dad. And we'd go out to the game, and I'd get to carry his glove. And as soon as they went left the dugout, I got to sit in the dugout with all the guys. And I'd hand my daddy's glove, and he'd run out to the field. He played first base. I could hardly wait to get to be old enough to start Little League Baseball. I wish I'd have found the picture I looked for, but I couldn't find it, of me playing Little League Baseball. Me and my best friend, Kenny Hennard, who lived across the street from me. There's a picture of me and Kenny in our uniform, very first Little League Baseball game. We're standing there out in my front yard. Kenny's up here, me down here. It was Little League. And I was little. I was the littlest one on the league. I hated it. But nevertheless, I'm in the Brookwood Indians baseball uniform. My first game. They put me in the outfield my first game. But then they found out I could pitch. And then they decided to make a pitcher out of me. And that's what I played all the way through my career playing baseball. I was fortunate to play all the way up to a farm league team that was sponsored by the Kansas City Royals. I didn't play very long, uh, but but played, got that high. Had ambitions to play, you know, professional baseball, but never got that far. But my dad was my influence of wanting to play baseball. And my dad never missed a game I ever played. He told me the first game, son, I'll never miss a game you play. And that meant he had to take off work because we played sometimes in the afternoon and my dad was always in the stands. I could hear him shouting louder than anybody else. Strike him out, Bubba. Strike him out, Bubba. <laughs> my mother got up one night. She used to, dad and mom both went to the game, every game. Mom didn't go to every one of them, but the night game she went to. And I threw my first pitch one night. This big old boy knocked it right over center field. Home run. My mother stood up. Home run. Wow, a home run. <laughs> My dad said, sit down, fool. It's the wrong team. <laughs> but then, then the other thing that, that dad inspired me was my love for old cars. My love for fast cars, my love for hot rods, my love for motorcycles. That all came from being inspired by my dad. He influenced me all of my young life. Amen. He taught me how to work on them, how to build them, how to drive them. I always said, my dad saw to it, I never owned anything slow. Amen. He souped up everything I owned so I could outrun everybody else. So he was my influence, both for playing baseball and my influence for 
loving old cars and racing and all that. Eventually, I opened my own business, Jerry's Paint and Body Shop. And that's what I did. I learned, I learned the trade from my dad. And then come 1969, and a new influence came into my life. Not that I didn't love my dad anymore. Not that he still wasn't precious to me. He was. But he didn't know what this man knew who began to influence me. And that man was Kenneth Copeland. And he came to Shreveport in 1969 when I was running just as hard and fast as I could from God. Knew I had to call a God on my life, but didn't want to do it. And Kenneth Copeland was the man that God used to inspire and influence me to begin to follow God's dream for my life and give up the dream that I had developed for my life. And now all these years later, Brother Copeland and I have been preaching together. Next month, I'll enter into my 54th year of ministry. And he and I have been preaching together for 52 and a half of those years. And he's still inspiring me. He's still influencing me. Along with later came the influence Moore Roberts, Kenneth Hagin, T.L. Osborne. They were the four men that influenced me and shaped the ministry that I'm in today. Amen. Amen. So every one of us in here on whatever path of life we're on, you're there because of somebody's influence. Your father, your mother, you know, a relative, someone you got close to, they inspired you. And today I'm privileged to know that I've inspired young ministers all over the world. They consider me as a spiritual father to them. That's not anything I set out to become. I'm still just Jerry Savelle in my mind, but I'm a spiritual father to hundreds and hundreds of preachers all over the world. I'm inspiring them. I'm influencing them. I'm I'm helping to shape their ministries. This is, this is what God's desired to do all of our, all through human existence is to be our inspiration and to be our influence. Can you say amen? amen? Now, listen to this. In Proverbs thirteen twenty, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. So here the Bible is telling us that men can inspire and influence you. The message translation says, become wise by walking with wise men, hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. So men have a way of inspiring you. Good men, bad men. So that means be careful who you develop relationships with. Be careful who you follow. Brother Hagin used to say it this way. You can imbibe another man's spirit. Connect with people of like precious faith, according to what Peter said in 2 Peter 1.1. Run with people who sharpen you. Psalm 27.17. Iron sharpeneth iron. 
So a man sharpeth the countenance of his friend. One of my dear friends, Happy Caldwell, Little Rock, Arkansas. Happy and his wife Jeannie and Carolyn and I have been friends. I met Happy back in about 1974, somewhere along in there. And we have remained very close and intimate friends all these years. Happy sharpens me. And I sharpen him. Buddy Harrison, who's now in heaven, and his wife, uh, Pat, the three couples, the Caldwells, the Savells, the Harrisons, we have gone on vacations together for over 45 years, I guess. And, and when we're on vacation, even though we have a lot of fun, we sharpen one another. In our vacations, we don't leave God at home. We have fun, we, we laugh a lot, we, and we do silly things together. But it all, eventually it all comes back around in our fellowshipping and talking about what God is saying to us and, and what God's dealing with us about. We never, we never leave home without taking God with us. And we inspire and sharpen one another. Amen. I, 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 Brother Copeland said something to me not too long ago. And it brought tears to my eyes. And it, it does even when uh, I think about it. He put his arm around me. We were in, I, I do all of his victory campaigns with him. I told him when the Lord told me to do that, I, I don't want you to give me an offering. I'll pay my own expenses. I'm just here to serve you and, and do whatever you need me to do. I'm supporting you like I always have. Even though I have my own ministry, and this will mean giving a portion of my time to you, I will do all of your victory campaigns with you. And he said, well, you don't think you're not going to preach. I said, no, I don't have to preach. I'm just coming to lift your hands, serve you, do whatever you need me to do. He said, well, you'll preach if you're coming with me. I said, if you want me to, I will. But once again, I don't want an offering. I'll pay my own way. I'm just here to serve. And I, and I did that. In my mind, I thought I was going to do that for one year. At the end of that year, the Lord said, would you be willing to do this for the rest of your life? I said, you know, I would. So I made a commitment to Brother Copeland that I will do these victory campaigns with you as long as you want me to for the rest of my life. And it was overwhelming to him. Okay. Now, that is a form of giving. That's a form of giving. Do you suppose it's why I'm experiencing maximum? (laughs) And the highest level attainable. Giving my time. And sometimes we do two of these meetings a month. Giving my time to him and helping him has not hurt my ministry at all. It certainly hasn't hurt my finances and I'm not getting anything for my services in helping him. But my ministry has gone to another level. Why? Because Jesus said, if you do this and do it as a lifestyle, it'll take you to the maximum and the highest level attainable. And that's exactly what I'm experiencing. But not too long ago, we were flying to a meeting. Put his arm around me. Say, I love you, son. I said, I love you too, Dad. He said, 
Oh man, this got me. Now he was a he was a single child, an only child. And he always wanted a brother. And when his mother Vanetta gave birth to him, she almost died giving birth to him and she could not have any more children. And he grew up without a brother or a sister. But he always wanted a brother. And while he had his arm around me, he said, you're the brother I never had. Man, that just overwhelmed me. Amen. No wonder he's still influencing me. By the way, don't watch all that trash on social media. And people don't know what they're talking about. Don't waste your time on that. Amen. So, I'm on the path that I'm on today because somebody influenced me. Now, I think it's really neat how God did this. There came a time when I got to influence my dad. My mom and dad came and moved here and worked for me for 20 years. And now he wants to be me. Like I wanted to be him. And for 20 years before they went home to be with the Lord... I was their, their influence and their inspiration. My dad, I can see him to this day. Every time God would do something for me, and, I, and my dad be one of the first ones I wanted to share it with, I'd say, Dad, look what the Lord's done. He'd stand there with his arms like this. You're blessed, boy. You're blessed. I can see him doing it right now. He's looking over heaven right now. You're blessed, boy. You're blessed. Is God still the source of your inspiration? Now let me wrap it up with this. Almost this. (laughs) Psalm 119 verse 63, David said, I am a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. I am a companion of the people that reverence God. Godly friends are very needful. In the world that we live in today. Make sure you have godly friends. 1 Corinthians 15, 13 tells us you become the company that you keep. Do not be deceived. Evil communications corrupt evil manners. The Amplified Bible says they corrupt good character. So it's important who you choose to be companion with. Because you become what the, the company that you keep. One preacher said, show me your friends and I'll show you your character. Now just remember Genesis 2-7. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That was in the beginning. Listen to this in John chapter 10. Just before Jesus takes his place or position on the right hand of God, Jesus said to his disciples, Peace be unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. He breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Notice he's doing 
just before he took his position on the right hand of God, the same thing that God did to man when he created him. He breathed on him. Here Jesus breathed on him, indicating, I want to be just like from the beginning, your inspiration and your influence. And then notice what happened in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. A rushing mighty wind. The Holy Spirit many times is uh, referred to as the wind of God. It's God's way of breathing on us once again. He is breathing on us and he's breathing on them in the book of Acts signified that they would be inspired and influenced by God once again after they received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is symbolic of the breath of God. And when you have been inspired by God and you're influenced by God by receiving the Holy Spirit into your life, then praise God. His influence and His inspiration will never cease in your life. Amen. That's the reason why you need to stay on fire for God. That's the reason why you need to stay close to God. Draw nigh unto Him. He will draw nigh unto you. And people like this are the ones who will be able to say, by the time this year is up, God has taken me to the maximum and He has caused me to experience the highest level attainable. Give the Lord a shout if you receive it. Amen. Hallelujah. Did you get something out of that this morning? All right, now, everybody stand to your feet, if you will, please. And let's make a fresh commitment. Hallelujah. In fact, could someone move this podium and be careful of the drinks that are in it? Drop them. Well, Pastor, I didn't know we were going to put you to work here today. Praise God. Get maybe over in the corner here. We don't do this very often here, but I'd sense the leading of the Lord this morning to invite people to do this. If the flame or the fire is not nearly as hot as it once was in your life, I want to invite you to come and let's just spend a few moments in prayer together and ask the Lord to breathe upon you again. Praise God. Don't want to embarrass anybody, but I want all of you to experience the maximum. I want everybody in here to be able to say, God has taken me to the highest level attainable. Amen. So this is not to embarrass anybody, but just be honest with yourself. If, if the fire and the flame is not presently where it might have once been, then come on up here for a moment. Let's just gather around. Let's pray. And everybody else, instead of just looking at them, stretch your hands out toward them. And let's all begin praying in the Holy Ghost. In the name of Jesus. Bless you, Lord. All of you that pray in the Spirit, go ahead and begin doing that right now. Come on, let's give some volume to it. Give some volume to it.
Pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. In the mighty name of Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. No one's looking down on you. Everybody's rejoicing in this fresh commitment that you're making. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Those of you that are up front, lift your hands right now, if you will, please. Continue praying in the Spirit. Hallelujah. Justin, would you start on that end? And Pastor Phil, would you come start on this end? And just lay your hands on them and ask the Lord to breathe new life into them again, to arouse them to life. Ask the Lord to cause the flame to, to rise up within them again in the name of Jesus. Lord, I lay my hands upon them in your precious name. I'm asking you to cause the flames to rise within them. Cause the, the fire to grow higher, burning brighter in the name of Jesus. May this be a moment of fresh commitment for each and every one of them. In the mighty name of Jesus. Holy Ghost, breathe upon them. Inspire and influence them for the rest of their life in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, folks, let's continue to pray in the Holy Ghost. In the name of Jesus. Be inspired. Be refreshed. In the Holy Ghost. In the name of Jesus. Lord, breathe upon them like you once did. Do it again. Arouse them to new life from this day forward. In the mighty name of Jesus. You said if they draw nigh to you, you will draw nigh to them. They're doing so. And we know that you will honor your word to them. In the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus. Be inspired by the Holy Spirit. May the flames and the fire of God rise up in you to new heights. May you burn and be aglow with the presence of God all the days of your life. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And Satan, in the name of Jesus, I decree these people are off limits to you. They're God's property, and you have no place in their life. In Jesus' name. And Lord, we declare that our flame is high, our fire is bright, and from this day forward, God first in everything we do. Come on, give Him your best shout this morning.